All right, well, today we are going to begin our new sermon series on prayer. We're going to be talking about and learning how to pray big, praying big and expecting God to do big things. That's the idea of the next three weeks. And I've been really looking forward to this series because it gives me an opportunity to share with you the story of Avery Hearn. This is Avery, little Avery Hearn. Uh, Avery is one of the twin daughters of good friends of ours, Brett and Jennifer Hearn. They actually ran the sound booth here at Southwood, and Julie and I got to know them because they are great babysitters. Our our kids love them. And so Brett and Jen are really precious to us, and uh, we're really excited for them when they found out that they were pregnant with twins. And so we have twins, so we spent a lot of time together, talked about it. Uh, Really excited. What an amazing thing for them uh, until at 31 weeks, they went in for an appointment and found that one of the twins, Avery, had a large mass in her brain that looked like cancer. Really big, really bad looking. Um, And so we all began to pray. Brett and Jen, their family, their friends, our church, began to pray for this little girl, Avery, who we'd not met yet. Uh, Well, Avery and her twin sister, Audrey, were born on July 26th, so that was about six months ago, and they immediately rushed Avery into the MRI machine. So on the day of her birth, rushed her into the MRI machine to see what was going on in there, and they found this, outlined in red, a tumor the size of a tennis ball that was in her frontal lobe surrounding her blood vessels, her pituitary gland, the whole nine yards, inoperable because it surrounded all of those things. Um, So they went ahead and did a biopsy of her at, at five days old and found that that tumor was as bad as it could possibly be, an extremely rare, extremely aggressive, untreatable form of brain cancer, taking up most of her school. And so the doctors began to look, what, what can we do? Well, chemo, radiation, really no hope of them improving her life, just going to cause her a great deal of pain. Surgery is out of the question. And so they sent Avery home under hospice care. So just to go home with your parents and have, uh, they gave her a window of two weeks to two months is how long you have. Two months at the absolute outset. So enjoy your daughter before she passes. Uh, but we continued to pray. As a church, we prayed, her, their friends prayed, their family prayed, our elders prayed over Avery. They shared her story on Facebook, and uh, over 10,000 people all around the nation began to pray for Avery. And two weeks came and went, and Avery was still alive. And two months came and went, and Avery was still alive. And we got to five months in December, and Avery was not just still alive, she was putting on weight, which was incredible if you've got that in your head. And so the doctors began to wonder, what is going on in this little girl's body? This doesn't make sense. We've not done any treatment. She should be dead at this point. And so they brought her back to Texas Children's, put her back under the MRI machine, and they found this. Uh, There is no tumor there. There's fluid. That's the white stuff. That's easy to drain out. It's a normal part of going through trauma like this. And the little yellow thing, that scar tissue, that is all that's left of the tumor. The tumor is completely gone. Now, they were kind of shocked at this. You know, needless to say, the doctors were flabbergasted. So they did some surgeries and found not only is the tumor gone, but there is no sign of cancer in her. Not, not a cancer cell anywhere in her. Cancer's completely gone. Tumor's completely gone. That's without radiation, without chemo, without surgery. If you haven't figured it out, tumors don't go away without radiation, chemo, or surgery. They just don't do that. God has worked an incredible miracle in Avery Hearn. I I still can't believe, I get chills every time I look at that picture. There is no explanation for what God has done than that it's a miracle. I am really grateful for MRI machines because without an MRI, we would have never seen this. But with an MRI, with the advancements of modern medicine, we get to see in stunning digital clarity the hand of God at work in a little girl. 
Absolutely incredible. I have never seen a miracle this big with my own eyes. Absolutely stunning to me. In the Old Testament, when something amazing happened, when God did some big miracle, the Israelites would build an Ebenezer. I don't know if you've ever heard that word. Kind of weird word. It was a pile of stones. You build a pile of stones so every time you would see it, you would remember, wow, God did something crazy there. That's my Ebenezer, that little picture right there. Absolutely stunning to see visual proof of what God has done. Now, as I have reflected on Avery's life, as I have thought about her story, um, it's, it's been really inspiring for me and really eye-opening for me. I feel like I've learned a number of things as I've looked at Avery, as I've seen her go from a, a baby who we expected to pass away, now to a baby who is playing with toys and growing just like her sister, Audrey, growing to be as big as Audrey and as strong as Audrey. As I've reflected on that and thought about it, I felt like God has taught me two really glaring things in the last two months, last six weeks, that have been what I've wanted to really share with you guys this morning in in this prayer series. Two really um, important things that God has taught me through Avery Hearn. First is I have a really big God. God who is far bigger than I typically give him credit for. I have a God who scoffs at the laws of physics. I have a God who laughs at the limitations of modern medicine. I have a God who, with one hand, holds the universe together, and with the other hand, reaches into a baby's school and disintegrates her cancerous tumor. I have a really big God who laughs at limitations, who does all that he pleases. I have a really good God. That's the the enjoyable lesson I learned from Avery, but then there's the painful lesson that I learned from Avery. I have a really big God, but I have a really puny prayer life. I really do. I've been very convicted the last six weeks because I prayed for Avery pretty much every night with my kids as they got into bed. We prayed for Avery to be healed. Um, Just a quick little prayer as they got into bed. I prayed not really expecting anything to happen. Not even really hoping that anything would happen because I've been a pastor for a long time. Seen a lot of people get cancer and I've seen how that usually turns out. I know what the odds are and this was the bleakest case I have ever seen. Never seen anything as bleak as Avery Hearn. And so I offered a short little five second prayer as I put the kids into bed, not really ever expecting that my kids would ever meet Avery Hearn. Really convicted that I have a small prayer life so much of the time. Small in faith, small in time, small in devotion that I give it. I pray uh, not really believing that God is going to do something miraculous through my prayers. I've been so convicted over my small prayer life. Now, the good news is it is obvious that God is not limited by the inadequacies of my prayer life, right? It's really good news. I may be inadequate, but God's not. And so despite the puniness of my prayers, God still does crazy big things. But that does not excuse me. It does not excuse the smallness of my prayer life. I suffer from a small prayer life, small in time, small in devotion, small in belief that it's going to make a difference. My guess is most of you suffer from that as well. Been a pastor for nine years. I've asked a lot of people, how's your prayer life? I have never heard anyone say, great. No one ever says, my prayer life is fantastic. I'm so glad you asked. Everybody says, oh, it could be better. Because we all know prayer is this monumental thing, this super important thing. We're talking to the almighty creator of heaven and earth. There could be nothing as important as prayer, and yet we all realize we are falling short. We are not giving it the time and devotion that it deserves. We are not praying in big faith for God to do big things. 
And so we're going to take the next three weeks to talk about how we grow in prayer. How do we become people who pray big, who pray for big things, expecting God to do big things, who pray for big things and give it big time, who give it big devotion. We're going to talk about how we grow in prayer so that we pray big. Now, if you want to learn how to pray big, there is no one better to look at than Jesus. He had the biggest prayer life of all. And so we're going to study the prayer life of Jesus over the next three weeks. Today, we're going to look at his general principles, his general teaching and example. Next week, we're going to look at his high priestly prayer in John 17. And the following week, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. So that's where we're headed. This morning, we're going to look at the overall lessons that he taught us about prayer through his example and through his teaching ministry. This morning, I want to observe a number of things from Jesus' prayer life, five lessons we learn. If you want to learn to pray big, then this is how you do it. You follow Jesus' example, you follow his teaching, and you pray like he did. And so we begin to look at Jesus' prayer life, we begin to study how he prayed, what made his prayers big and effective, and the first thing that you notice about what it means to pray big like Jesus prayed big is when Jesus prayed, he always kept it personal. Mark fourteen thirty six, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Abba, Father, two words there that Jesus uses to begin his prayer. Father is the formal way to refer to your dad. So kind of like the English word father. It's a personal term, but a term of respect. Abba is a very informal term. It's an intimate term. In English, the closest would be dad or daddy. And it's interesting, as we look at Jesus' prayer life, it always has this characteristic. He, He always addresses God in personal terms. Jesus' prayers are never formal. They are never formulaic. They're never mystical. He's never quoting memorized stanzas. Jesus' prayers are always personal. They are always informal. When you look at the prayer life of Jesus, it very clearly stands out. Jesus is just talking to his dad. That's all prayer is for Jesus. That's all prayer is for us. Just talking to your dad. With, with respect, with honesty, just talking to your dad. That's all prayer is. It's not meant to be something that you, you, you pray by formula. It's not meant to be mystical or complex. It's not something you go to seminary to learn how to do. Actually, to be frank with you, having gone to seminary, seminary makes it harder to pray well than, than easier. You don't have to go to seminary to pray well. You don't need complex theology. You don't need big words. You just have a conversation with your dad. That's all prayer is. When you try to import all of this theology, all of these complex phrases and Christian jargon into it, it just gets weird. It gets really weird. Imagine if my son, my three-year-old Luke, was thirsty and he came to me and he said to me, Dear earthly father, I beseech you in your compassionate forbearance to provide me with a refill of milk. Would thou please... In thy gracious benevolence, slake my thirst, all in accordance with your sovereign will, and for your glorious renown, in the name of your magnificent and beautiful spouse and my blessed mother, amen. <laughs> if, if Luke did that, um, first I would call the news, because we're going to be famous, if, if Luke ever <laughs> did that. Um, but second, I would tell my son, Luke, <laughs> I love you, and I know you need milk. 
So why don't you just say, dad, can I have some milk? You can leave all the big words out. You can leave all the fancy phrases out. Just ask me for what you want, because I love you. I want to give you what you need. It's as simple as that. That's what God wants from us. Leave the theology out. Leave the fancy words out. Just ask him for what you want. Just be honest with him. Just talk to him. That's all prayer is, is a conversation with your heavenly father. You're just talking to your dad. That's what prayer is. Now notice that definition of prayer assumes that God is your father. And that's not true of us from birth. We're not born into the family of God. We're, we're born enemies of God because of our sin. Our sin separates us from God. We become part of God's family. We become children of God the moment that we believe the gospel. The moment that we believe that God sent his own beloved son, Jesus, to die for our sins, to take our punishment in our place, and then raised him from the dead and offers eternal life in his family if we'll simply believe. The moment that you believe that, the eternal life is yours as a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. You become a child of God, and from then on, you are invited to pray like Jesus did. Prayer is not something complex. It's not a formula to memorize. You don't go to seminary for it. You just talk to your dad. That's prayer. Jesus kept it personal. That's the first thing about his prayer that made it big, that made it powerful. He was just talking to his dad. He believed that his dad heard him and loved him, so he just talked to his dad. So pray like Jesus, keep it personal. Second lesson we learn from Jesus about how to pray big. When Jesus prayed, he made it a priority. Here's a verse I don't like very much. Mark 1.35, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Um, I don't like that part of the day. I don't like when the sun is not up and it is cold outside and I want to be in my bed. It is hateful to me to make a 6 a.m. meeting. Um, I'm convicted by the fact that Jesus got up before the sun not to go to work or make a meeting, but to go pray, to go pray. Now you say, wait a minute, but maybe Jesus is not like you, Blake. Maybe Jesus is a morning person. He's really loved to get up early. Well, um, but then we read in Luke chapter six, Verse 12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Jesus had a big decision to make. He was about to appoint his 12 disciples, and for wisdom to make that decision, he goes off in the evening, and he begins to pray, and he prays all night long. So what that shows us is Jesus was not a morning person, and Jesus was not a night person. Jesus was simply a person who prioritized prayer wasn't enough for Jesus just to pray for a few minutes. He gave it solid blocks of time. He gave it devotion. He gave it a lot of effort, a lot of time in his schedule. So when he had a busy day of ministry, that meant that he had to wake up early or stay up late. And he did it often. Woke up really early or stayed up late to give prayer the time that it needs. Big prayer requires big time. Now what should really surprise us as we think about the example of Jesus? I don't know if you've ever thought about this or reflected on this, of all the human beings who have ever lived, Jesus needed prayer the least. He needed prayer the least. Why? Because he was God. He was perfect. He was never struggling with sin. He had omnipotent power at his fingertips. He is God, and yet he gives all of this time and devotion to prayer. 
Realize Jesus, he, he could have been doing anything on the planet at that moment, and he gave his time to prayer. How much more should we, who are not like Jesus, who struggle with sin, who are weak, who are limited, how much more should we be giving significant blocks of time to prayer? Now, none of that is said to make you feel guilty. God doesn't want you to leave here this morning feeling guilty because guilt is a really poor motivator. It doesn't work. What God wants you to feel is inspiration. When you look at the prayer life of Jesus, reflect on the fact, as God, he could have literally been doing anything in the universe he wanted to, including sleeping, which I would really prefer to do. And yet, because he saw how great prayer is, what a privilege prayer is, he gave all that time to prayer. He had a body just, just like you, a body that craves sleep, that craves rest. He sacrificed that because of how blessed prayer is, what a privilege it was to him. That should inspire us. I should get up early. I should stay up late and pray. Why? Because it is a privilege, the greatest privilege that there is. The Son of Man could have done anything in the universe, and he chose to pray. There's nothing greater. Big prayer requires big time. You have to give it attention. You have to give it devotion. You have to give it blocks of time if you want to enjoy a big prayer life. That's the second thing we learn from Jesus. When Jesus prayed, he made it a priority. He gave it big blocks of time. Third thing we learn about Jesus' prayer life. When Jesus prayed, he gave it his undivided attention. So what prayer requires, undivided attention. I don't know if you notice the setting details there in Mark and in Luke in those verses that we just read. In Mark, it says that Jesus went to a secluded place. In Luke, it says he went up on a mountain alone. Uh, Jesus liked to do that. He, he prayed often in public uh, with other people around, but his favorite place to pray was alone off in a secluded place, up on a mountain, or as Luke puts it in chapter five, verse 16, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. It was his habit, often. This is what he did on a regular basis. He got alone in the wilderness so that he could give undivided, undistracted, uninterrupted attention to prayer. Now, so you know, wilderness, that's, that's not like the middle of the desert or something like that. And ancient Israel was sparsely populated, so if you left your house and walked 15 minutes any direction, you were in the wilderness. You were in a spot where other people weren't. You could be alone in a quiet place, uninterrupted, undistracted. For most of us, we can't do that. If I walk 15 minutes from my house any direction, I'm in someone else's house because we all live next to each other. So we can't walk to the wilderness, but that's okay. The point of this is we all need a, a wilderness spot, a quiet spot where we can find time alone with God, time that is free of distraction, time that is uninterrupted. For you, that might be praying in your spare bedroom. It might be praying in a closet if you live in a small place. It might be praying on your back porch. It might be going for a walk to pray or sitting in your car to pray. It might be taking a shower to pray. That's my favorite place for good uninterrupted prayer time. My kids won't interrupt me in the shower. They know that's a no-no. And so they leave me alone and I can pray. So whatever your wilderness spot is, you can all find a spot that you can be in and be alone with God. That's what you need to do is go off into the wilderness. Get away, unplug from the distractions of the day and get alone with God where you can give prayer your undivided attention because big prayer requires undivided attention. But let me challenge you, when you find that wilderness spot and you go to that wilderness spot, protect your wilderness spot from these. 
We live in a world of ubiquitous electronic distraction. Our smartphones are always in our pockets, dinging and vibrating with the latest status update, the latest text message, the latest tweet, the latest email, the latest phone call. It's always there and it's always interrupting us. And what we have to understand, big prayer cannot be distracted prayer. You can't go before the Lord for an hour, but every minute you're checking your phone. That's not big prayer. That's not effective prayer. Effective prayer requires freedom from distraction and interruption. Sadly, for many of us, our smartphones have have come to enslave us in a way. We're, We're slaves to their distraction, always checking them, always giving them our attention. That robs us of our ability to give undivided attention to prayer to make our prayers big. And so um, that's the bad news. The good news is, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but all of those devices on the screen have an off button. It's the great thing about technology. You can turn it off or at least mute it or, or at least leave it in the other room where it's not distracting you. And so find your wilderness spot, go there often and either turn the phone off or leave it in the other room. Don't let it rob you of giving God your undivided attention. Big prayer requires big focus. You gotta focus and devote yourself to prayer. So find your wilderness spot, go there often, and protect it from all of these things that distract us. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his book, Contemplative Pastor. He says, I can be active and pray. I can work and pray, but I cannot be busy and pray. I cannot be inwardly rushed, distracted, or dispersed. Usually for prayer to happen, there must be a deliberate withdrawal from the noise of the day, a disciplined detachment from the insatiable self. If you want to have an effective prayer life, big prayer life, you got to turn the phone off. You got to unplug from the distractions and interruptions of the day, and you got to get alone with God. So third lesson we learn from Jesus, big prayer requires undivided attention. Fourth thing we learn from Jesus, if you want to pray big, we notice that when Jesus prayed, he asked for things boldly. Big prayer asks for big things boldly. We ask for for big things expecting God to do big things. That's how big prayer works. It's interesting when you look at the the teaching of Jesus, he often made these uh, really seemingly outrageous statements about prayer. Pretty crazy statements, crazy promises about prayer like this one, Matthew 21, 22. All things you ask in prayer believing, you will receive. Whatever you ask for. If you believe that God hears you and answers your prayers, you will receive it. Man, that is a, that's a big promise. That's an incredibly blanket promise. That's a huge promise. Turn to Matthew 7 gets even bigger. Matthew 7. Look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7, we're going to start in verse 7. Jesus is going to give us a similar promise, but he's going to tie it here to the character of God. Say, the reason that you should ask for things boldly is because you have the kind of God who wants you to ask boldly for stuff. That's, that's God's character. That's God's nature. So look with me at Matthew 7, starting in verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? What Jesus is saying is you you should be bold in prayer. You should ask, you should knock, you should seek. Why? Because God is your father who loves to give you good things. God is thrilled to give you big, bold things. Think about it for me as a a father to my three-year-old son, Luke. I love to give Luke the toys he asked for at his birthday. He says, hey, dad, I, I want this toy. I love to be the one to give it to him. I love to see him tear it open. I love to see the smile on his face when he sees the daddy got him what he asked for. I love it. Now, if I, a sinful, fallen human father, love to give my son Luke good things, how much more must God, the compassionate, gracious, almighty God, love to give my son Luke what's good? God loves to give us what's good. So ask boldly for things. Be bold in your prayer life. Go before God and plead with him and expect him to do big things. Now here's the challenge. That verse raises a very difficult question for us, doesn't it? This is the really hard question when we look at prayer. That verse looks like an absolute blanket promise. God will give you anything you ask for, assuming you ask in faith. It's yours. Well, that's that's amazing. That's why we prayed for Avery. We prayed that God would heal her, and God did. Sure enough. But what about all the times that God doesn't heal? Been a long pastor for a long time. I've seen a lot of people get cancer. Most of them, despite lots of prayer, don't get better. For every Avery Hearn, there are at least 10, probably more like 100 or 1,000 children with cancer who will die, despite the fact that people are praying for them just like we prayed for Avery. What do you do with that? What do you do with that fact? What do you do when you pray for healing and God doesn't answer? God doesn't heal you. What do you do when you're single and lonely and you pray for a spouse for years and God doesn't give you one? What do you do when you are an infertile couple who has tried to have kids for years and God keeps saying no? What do you do with that? So let's look at that. Why does God not always give us what we ask for? Why doesn't he always say yes to our prayers? Well, there's four possible answers according to the Bible. Four reasons why God might not give you what you ask for. The first is the easy one. We can just get it right off the list. God's not going to give you what you ask for if you're asking for something evil. That's, that's natural. That, that's clear to us. That's easy to assume. James 4, 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. God is not a cosmic vending machine. He's not a genie in the bottle. Rub him the right way and he'll give you anything you ask for. No, God is the righteous creator. If you ask for that which is not righteous, that which is evil or sinful, he is not going to give it to you. He's under no obligation to fulfill that request. If you um, are, are single and you ask um, for a particular person to ask you on a date, but they're not a believer, 
Don't expect God to fulfill that. That's not what he wants for you. If, if you um, ask for harm to come to someone, yeah, God's, God's not thrilled about that request. Not gonna answer that one. If you are walking in sin and you're praying that you won't be found out and you'll keep getting away with it, yeah, God's not interested in that one. God is not going to fulfill an evil or sinful request. So that's the first possible reason that God says no. It's because you're asking for something evil. Easy to set that one aside. Second reason that God might say no to your request is because you are walking in sin. Look at 1 John 3. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. The apostle John uh, adds a catch, if you will, to Jesus' promise. He adds a catch. He says, if you want God to hear and answer your prayers, you have to understand, you have to be walking in obedience. If you are walking in unrepentant sin, don't expect God to hear and, and answer your prayer. So that's not how God works. He does not answer the prayers of his children when his children are walking in rebellion. If you are walking in sin, you are still a child of God. He still hears you, but your sin erects a wall of separation between you and him. You're, you're not enjoying fellowship. You're not enjoying intimacy with him, and he's not going to fulfill your request. He's not going to give you a yes because you're choosing to walk in that sin. Now, John is not telling us that we have to walk in perfection because none of us can do that. We're all going to sin on a regular basis. We're falling short all the time. What John is challenging us to do is to seek to obey God in every area. In every area of life, you are trying through the power of the Spirit to obey God. And when you do fall short, you are quick to confess. You are quick to repent of that sin and admit it to God. If you do that, then God will hear and answer your prayers. If you don't, if you, if you have this little area of sin over here, this dark thing that nobody knows about, and you really don't want to give it up, you're not going to give it to God, you're not going to talk to God about it, it's your stuff, it's none of God's business, you're going to live with this sin over here, God says, well, I, I'm not going to listen and answer your prayers. It doesn't work that way. You don't get to walk and live in rebellion in this area of your life over here and expect me to fulfill your requests. So the second reason that God may be saying no to your request is because you're walking in sin. You need to continually be confessing your sins to God, surrendering every area of your life to him, walking in obedience to the power of his spirit to the best of your ability. Third reason God might say no is because a no leads to my greater good. This is a big one. God wants us to understand sometimes no is kinder than yes. That happened to Paul. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now, we don't know what this thorn in, in the flesh is. It would appear from the evidence that it was a painful physical ailment. So Paul is, is somehow sick or his body is somehow broken. It's very painful to him. And so he pleads with God multiple times over and over, God, please deliver me. Please heal me. And God says, no. Why does God say no? Well, not because it was an evil thing. It's good to pray for healing. Healing is a good and righteous thing. So it wasn't because it was an evil request. It's not because Paul was walking in sin. Paul was very faithful. He was walking with the Lord. It's, it's a third reason. 
Because God understood for Paul at this particular point in his life, the thing that Paul needed most was not healing. It was power, spiritual power, God's strength and grace at work through him. God said, Paul, I love you so much, I'm gonna give you what's best. And what's best isn't healing. What's best is power, and you get power through pain. Because that's usually how it works in this world. I don't know if you've, you've seen that connection. Usually we experience God's power and grace most clearly and most directly when we are suffering. And so often God allows us to suffer, not because he likes it, not because he's a masochist, but because he wants what's best for us. And for Paul at that moment, the best thing was a no. Paul, no, I'm not gonna heal you. I'm gonna use this to make you powerful, to do world-changing, history-altering things. But sure enough, Paul did. Paul understood that. He gave glory to God because he knew sometimes no is kinder than yes. Now that's not just true for Paul. It's true for all of us. We can bank on the promise of Romans 8, 28. Paul says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is an incredible promise. Incredible promise. Uh, understand what, what God is saying here. He's saying that everything in your life, every single circumstance, even the circumstances that you hate, God is working for your good, for your best at all times and in all ways. So let's just be really clear about what God has promised us. God has not promised us physical health. God has not promised us a long life. God has not promised us financial success. God has not promised us a spouse. God has not promised us kids. God has not promised us any of those things. He's promised us something far, far greater. What? The best. In all things, in all ways, at all times, the very best for you. That's the greatest promise of all. God is saying in my sovereignty and omnipotence and in, in, in my ability to see all possible futures, I promise to give you the very best for you in all things and in all ways. And that is why God often says no. That's why God usually does not heal babies like Avery. He healed Avery, but he usually doesn't heal babies like her. Why? Because he hasn't promised us a long life. He's promised us what's best. And what is best for most children? It, it is to pass away. I, I hope you understand. We're, we're exalting in the fact that Avery was healed. But realize, where would Avery be right now if God did not heal her? If he let her die of the tumor? She'd be in heaven. So all children are covered by the grace of Christ. So she would be in heaven. And let's just be real frank with ourselves. Avery, we're excited that she's here. But man, she has a long life ahead. She has a lot of challenge and struggle as she tries to get over the physical ailments that she has. She has a long life with the rest of us in a fallen world. And if God would have brought her home, she would be in paradise right now with him. And so let us understand, if Avery would have died, it wouldn't be because God loved her less. It would have been because in grace, God saw that what was best for Avery was to in, begin enjoying eternity immediately. Now, in God's wisdom, in his omnipotence, in his knowledge, he knew that for Avery Hearn, for this one particular girl, what was best for her was a longer life. Maybe what he knew is what's best for us is for Avery to live so we could see something crazy, so that our faith could grow, so that Christ could be witnessed to by this amazing little girl. 
Let us understand God has not promised to heal us. He has not promised to give us a long life. He's not promised to give us a spouse or kids or any of that stuff. He's promised something far, far greater, our best in every moment, in every way, in every circumstance to work all things for our best. And so, because he is infinitely good, he will sometimes say no to you because he knows that no is kinder than yes. It's the third possible reason that God doesn't always say yes to us. Finally, fourth reason that God might not be saying yes to your prayer is because you haven't yet persevered in asking. Turn to Luke 18. Luke 18, interesting little parable, kind of funny story. Luke 18, we'll start at the beginning of the chapter. Luke 18, verse 1. Now he, that is Jesus, was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? So interesting story, two people in this story that come into conflict. You have an unrighteous judge who has no compassion, couldn't care less about anybody. And you have a widow, incredibly vulnerable, in great need, but who is very persistent. And she comes to that judge day after day, they knock heads, and who wins? The widow, right? The widow wins. And what's the point of all of that? What is Jesus trying to teach us in this parable? What's the connection between the judge and God? Well, uh, the logic goes like this. If you were to ask me, well, Blake, can LeBron James hit a free throw? I might say to you, man, I can hit a free throw. What am I saying? I, I, Blake Jennings, who has really no athletic talent at all, I'm not tall, I'm not gifted, I can't do much of anything on a basketball court, but I can hit a free throw. If I can hit a free throw, then how much more can LeBron James, who is not like me at all, who is gifted and tall and strong and incredible on the basketball court, if I can hit a free throw, then of course he can. That's the logic of the parable. God is nothing like this unrighteous judge. And yet if he can be persuaded by a persistent request, how much more God, our gracious, loving father, how much more will he be persuaded by our persistence? What Jesus is teaching us is that sometimes the reason God hasn't said yes to our prayers is because we haven't persevered yet in asking. We need to ask God over and over. That's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed for the the cup of suffering to pass him by. He prayed over and over and over again to his father, many times repetitively, because sometimes what we need is persistence in our prayers. That's big prayer, persistent prayer. We persevere in asking God over and over again for things. Now, why does God do that? Why doesn't he just give us what we want when we first ask? Here's why. Because God values your perseverance. Probably more than any of us do. 
God values our endurance. It is precious to him. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to have great endurance. And so he uses prayer as an opportunity to exercise our patience, to exercise our endurance. He doesn't say yes immediately so that we can grow in strength by asking over and over and over and over again. So if you have been praying for that thing that you desperately want, healing or, or a job or a godly spouse or, or kids or, or whatever it might be, maybe the reason God hasn't given it to you yet is because you just haven't persevered yet. You need to keep asking. Sometimes that's what's going on. I'm still amazed at the story of one of um, my fellow pastors here, Brad Evans at our church. He had been praying for his dad's salvation for 30 years almost every day for 30 years. It's a long time. His dad was not showing any signs of accepting the gospel. It was very, very hostile toward it. And then about two months ago, out of the blue, his dad believed. After 30 years of praying, almost every day, Brad himself got to lead his dad to faith. Because sometimes all that's needed is a little perseverance. Got to be persistent. Big prayer requires perseverance. So why doesn't God always say yes to my prayers? It could be because I'm asking for something evil. It could be because I'm walking in sin. It could be because a no is kinder than a yes. Or it could be because I have not yet persevered in asking. And then you combine those, those answers together, it leads us to our fifth and final lesson about prayer. If we want to pray like Jesus, keep it personal, make it a priority, give it your undivided attention, ask for things boldly, and ask in an attitude of obedience, submission, and persistence. So it means to pray like Jesus. You have Jesus' attitude. Jesus asked obediently. He, he walked in obedience. We need to do the same. He asked in submission. You may have noticed we read that verse from Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane as he asked for the cup of sorrow to pass him. He's asking, can I not go to the cross? How does he end that prayer? Not my will, but yours be done. He's submitting, Father, you know what's best. This is what I really want, but I trust you. God, I submit to you. You know best. Do what is best. So pray obediently, pray submissively, and pray persistently. Ask God over and over and over again to provide what you need. And so let's talk about application. What to do with this this week? Um, I'm not going to tell you to go home and pray like Jesus because none of us are there yet. That's, that's really big. That would overwhelm any of us because Jesus was a master when it comes to prayer. What I'm going to do is just give you a very practical suggestion, very doable step. What I'd like you to do this week is however much time you are giving to prayer on a daily basis, add five minutes. That's all I want you to do. Add five minutes a day to your prayer life. So however much you're praying, add five minutes to it and then find your wilderness spot, your quiet place where you can get alone with God and spend time with God that is undistracted. Turn off your phone or leave it in the other room and just get with God. And when you get with God, remember, ask boldly for the things you want. Ask boldly. Ask with faith, knowing that God hears you. He's your father. He's your dad who loves you and wants to give you what is good. So pray for that job. Pray for that spouse. Pray for those kids. Pray for God to do big things with your job. Pray for God to bring your your relatives who don't know Christ to him. Pray for God to do big things. So add five minutes a week to your prayer life this week. Now, what particularly can you be praying for? I, I trust you have your own list, a large list. Let me add three things to your list. Number one, please keep praying for Avery. 
Avery is now cancer-free, but that tumor has had some effects on her. Her body's been focusing on absorbing that tumor, so she's behind in her development. She has a lot of catching up to do to her sister, Audrey. So pray that Avery would be completely healed and restored and would live a long and full life. Pray that she would become an incredible witness for God. Girl is six months old, and she already has the greatest testimony I have ever heard. So I'm I'm pretty excited about what God's going to do through her. I think it's going to be really big. I think we're going to hear about this girl in the future. And so pray that God would give her uh, just a life of of great favor and great blessing. Um, Second, pray for the Simmons family. Simmons family, who you heard earlier, they lost their 15-year-old boy, Jake, earlier this week. We're going to have a funeral here in just a couple hours uh, for their family. Pray for their Pray for their their comfort, pray for mercy, pray for grace for them in the midst of their grief, and pray that that people who come to the funeral today, the memorial service, would hear about the God whom Jake believed in, whom Jake is seeing right now. Pray that people would come to believe the gospel today. So that's the first, so Avery, the Simmons family, and then third, pray for us. Pray that God would help us as a church to learn to pray big. That's really my hope for these next three weeks. Pray that all of us would learn to pray big. If you look at history, you will, you will see without any doubt that every time God did something big, it happened through prayer. Every time without exception, prayer was always the foundation. I want God to do something big. Through Grace Bible Church, in this town, in this nation, in this world, I want God to do something big through grace, and it's only going to happen if we learn to pray big. So please pray for us as a church that we would learn to pray big. Now let me pray for us, and then stay in your seats. I need to ask you one thing after, uh, after I pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to reflect on your goodness and grace. Lord, thank you that you are the creator, you are almighty, you are sovereign. All these big words, they all apply to you, and yet you have freely chosen to become our dad, to welcome us into your family. Thank you that to make that possible, you gave your own son, Jesus. You gave him over to death, to to suffer and die in our place, and then you raised him from the dead and now offered to all of us eternal life if we will simply believe. I pray for any person in this room who hasn't yet trusted in Jesus for salvation, who hasn't yet believed that Jesus paid for all their sins and that they can live with you forever simply by believing in his death and resurrection. I pray, Lord, that you would draw them to faith, that you would bring them into your family this morning. For all of us who know you as Father, I pray that we would grow in our prayer lives, Lord. I pray that we would grow to pray like Jesus did. I pray, Father, help us to pray big. Help us to pray for big things, expecting you to do big things. You are a God who loves to do that which is good. You love to give us what we ask for, and so, Father, we pray, help us to grow in our prayer lives. Help us to pray like Jesus. Help us to turn to you. I pray that for every one of us, we would be successful at growing the time that we spend in prayer and the devotion that we give to it. I pray that you would convict and remind each one of us to add five minutes a day to how much we're praying, wherever that might be, in the car, on the way to class, or on the way to work, in the shower, wherever it is, Lord, please help us to spend more time with you in prayer, believing that prayer changes things, that prayer is the conduit through which you change us and you change this world. I pray that we would give it the devotion and time it deserves. Thank you that you're a God who hears us. You're a God who is our dad. You love to give us what is good. Thank you for that. 
In the name of your beloved son, we pray. Amen.